Section 45 of Volume 1e of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume, Volume 1e section forty five chapter fifty nine part five so great were the alterations made on the english constitution by this treaty that the king said not without reason that he had been more an enemy to his people by these concessions could he have prevented them than by any other action of his life of all the demands of the Parliament, Charles refused only two. Though he relinquished almost every power of the crown, he would neither give up his friends to punishment, nor desert what he esteemed his religious duty. The severe repentance which he had undergone for abandoning Strafford had no doubt confirmed him in the resolution never again to be guilty of a like error his long solitude and severe afflictions had contributed to rivet him the more in those religious principles which had ever a considerable influence over him his desire however of finishing an accommodation induced him to go as far in both these particulars as he thought anywise consistent with his duty the estates of the royalists being at that time almost entirely under sequestration charles who could give them no protection consented that they should pay such compositions as they and the parliament should agree on and only begged that they might be made as moderate as possible he had not the disposal of offices and it seemed but a small sacrifice to consent that a certain number of his friends should be rendered incapable of public employments. But when the Parliament demanded a bill of attainder and banishing against seven persons, the Marquis of Newcastle, Lord Digby, Lord Byron, Sir Marmaduke Langdale, Sir Richard Granville, Sir Francis Doddington, and Judge Jenkins, the king absolutely refused compliance their banishment for a limited time he was willing to agree to religion was the fatal point about which the differences had arisen and of all others it was the least susceptible of composition or moderation between the contending parties the parliament insisted on the establishment of presbytery the sale of the chapter lands the abolition of all forms of prayer and strict laws against catholics the king offered to retrench everything which he did not esteem of apostolical institution he was willing to abolish archbishops deans prebends canons he offered that the chapter lands should be let at low leases during ninety-nine years he consented that the present church government should continue during three years after that time he required not that anything should be restored to bishops but the power of ordination and even that power to be exercised by advice of the presbyters 
if the parliament upon the expiration of that period still insisted on their demand all other branches of episcopal jurisdiction were abolished and a new form of church government must by common consent be established the book of common prayer he was willing to renounce but required the liberty of using some other liturgy in his own chapel a demand which though seemingly reasonable was positively refused by the parliament in the dispute on these articles one is not surprised that two of the parliamentary theologians should tell the king that if he did not consent to the utter abolition of episcopy he would be damned but it is not without some indignation that we read the following vote of the lords and commons the houses out of their detestation to that abominable idolatry used in the mass do declare that they cannot admit of or consent to any such indulgence in any law as is desired by his majesty for exempting the queen and her family from the penalties to be enacted against the exercise of the mass the treaty of marriage the regard to the queen's sex and high station even common humanity all considerations were undervalued in comparison of their bigoted prejudices it was evidently the interest both of king and parliament to finish their treaty with all expedition and endeavour by their combined force to resist if possible the usurping fury of the army it seemed even the interest of the parliament to leave in the king's hand a considerable share of authority by which he might be enabled to protect them and himself from so dangerous an enemy but the terms on which they insisted were so rigorous that the king fearing no worse from the most implacable enemies was in no haste to come to a conclusion and so great was the bigotry on both sides that they were willing to sacrifice the greatest civil interests rather than relinquish the most minute of their theological contentions from these causes assisted by the artifice of the independence the treaty was spun out to such a length that the invasions and insurrections were everywhere subdued and the army had leisure to execute their violent and sanguinary purposes hamilton having entered england with a numerous though undisciplined army durst not unite his forces with those of langdale because the english royalists had refused to take the covenant and the scottish presbyterians though engaged for the king refused to join them on any other terms the two armies marched together though at some distance nor could even the approach of the parliamentary army under cromwell oblige the covenanters to consult their own safety by a close union with the royalists when principles are so absurd and so destructive of human society it may safely be averred that the more sincere and the more disinterested they are they only become the more ridiculous and the more odious cromwell feared not to oppose eight thousand men to the numerous armies of twenty thousand commanded by hamilton and langdale he attacked the latter by surprise near preston in lancashire 
and though the royalists made a brave resistance yet not being succoured in time by their confederates they were almost entirely cut in pieces hamilton was next attacked put to rout and pursued to utoxeter where he surrendered himself prisoner cromwell followed his advantage and marching into scotland with a considerable body joined argyle who was also in arms and having suppressed laneric munro and other moderate presbyterians he placed the power entirely in the hands of the violent party the ecclesiastical authority exalted above the civil exercised the severest vengeance on all who had a share in hamilton's engagement as it was called nor could any of that party recover trust or even live in safety but by doing solemn and public penance for taking arms by authority of parliament in defence of their lawful sovereign the chancellor loudon who had at first countenanced hamilton's enterprise being terrified with the menaces of the clergy had some time before gone over to the other party he now openly in the church though invested with the highest civil character in the kingdom did penance for his obedience to the parliament which he termed a carnal self-seeking he accompanied his penance with so many tears and such pathetical addresses to the people for their prayers in this his uttermost sorrow and distress that a universal weeping and lamentation took place among the deluded audience the loan of great sums of money often to the ruin of families was exacted from all such as lay under any suspicion of favouring the king's party though their conduct had been ever so inoffensive this was a device fallen upon by the ruling party in order as they said to reach heart malignance never in this island was known a more severe and arbitrary government than was generally exercised by the patrons of liberty in both kingdoms the siege of colchester terminated in a manner no less unfortunate than hamilton's engagement for the royal cause after suffering the utmost extremities of famine after feeding on the vilest aliments the garrison desired at last to capitulate fairfax required them to surrender at discretion and he gave such an explanation to those terms as to reserve to himself power if he pleased to put them all instantly to the sword the officers endeavoured though in vain to persuade the soldiers by making a vigorous sally to break through at least to sell their lives as dearly as possible they were obliged to accept of the conditions offered and fairfax instigated by ireton to whom cromwell in his absence had consigned over the government of the passive general seized sir charles and resolved to make them instant sacrifices to military justice this unusual severity was loudly exclaimed against by all the prisoners lord capel fearless of danger reproached ireton with it and challenged him as they were all engaged in the same honourable cause to exercise the same impartial vengeance on all of them lucas was first shot and he himself gave orders to fire 
with the same alacrity as if he had commanded a platoon of his own soldiers lyle instantly ran and kissed the dead body then cheerfully presented himself to a like fate thinking that the soldiers destined for his execution stood at too great a distance he called to them to come nearer one of them replied i'll warrant you sir we'll hit you he answered smiling friends i have been nearer you when you have missed me thus perished this generous spirit not less beloved for his modesty and humanity than esteemed for his courage and military conduct soon after a gentleman appearing in the king's presence clothed in mourning for sir charles lucas that humane prince suddenly recollecting the hard fate of his friends paid them a tribute which none of his own unparalleled misfortunes ever extorted from him he dissolved into a flood of tears by these multiplied successes of the army they had subdued all their enemies and none remained but the helpless king and parliament to oppose their violent measures from cromwell's suggestion a remonstrance was drawn by the council of general officers and sent to the parliament they there complain of the treaty with the king demand his punishment for the blood spilt during the war require a dissolution of the present parliament and a more equal representative for the future and assert that though servants they are entitled to represent these important points to their masters who are themselves no better than servants and trustees of the people at the same time they advanced with the army to windsor and sent colonel ewer to seize the king's person at newport and convey him to hurst castle in the neighbourhood where he was detained in strict confinement this measure being foreseen some time before the king was exhorted to make his escape which was conceived to be very easy but having given his word to the parliament not to attempt the recovery of his liberty during the treaty and three weeks after that he would not by any persuasion be induced to hazard the reproach of violating that promise in vain was it urged that a promise given to the parliament could no longer be binding since they could no longer afford him protection from violence threatened him by other persons to whom he was bound by no tie or engagement the king would indulge no refinements of casuistry however plausible in such delicate subjects and was resolved that what depredations soever fortune should commit upon him she never should bereave him of his honour the parliament lost not courage notwithstanding the danger with which they were so nearly menaced though without any plan for resisting military usurpations they resolved to withstand them to the uttermost and rather to bring on a violent and visible subversion of government than lend their authority to those illegal and sanguinary measures which were projected they set aside the remonstrance of the army without deigning to answer it 
they voted the seizing of the king's person to be without their consent and sent a message to the general to know by what authority that enterprise had been executed and they issued orders that the army should advance no nearer to london hollis the present leader of the presbyterians was a man of unconquerable intrepidity and many others of that party seconded his magnanimous spirit it was proposed by them that the generals and principal officers should for their disobedience and usurpations be proclaimed traitors by the parliament but the parliament was dealing with men who would not be frightened by words nor retarded by any scrupulous delicacy the generals under the name of fairfax for he still allowed them to employ his name marched the army to london and placing guards in whitehall the mews st james durham house covent garden and palace yard surrounded the parliament with their hostile armaments the parliament destitute of all hopes of prevailing retained however courage to resist they attempted in the face of the army to close their treaty with the king and though they had formerly voted his concessions with regard to the church and delinquents to be unsatisfactory they now took into consideration the final resolution with regard to the whole after a violent debate of three days it was carried by a majority of one hundred and twenty-nine against eighty-three in the house of commons that the king's concessions were a foundation for the houses to proceed upon in the settlement of the kingdom next day when the commons were to meet colonel pride formerly a drayman had environed the house with two regiments and directed by lord grey of groby he seized in the passage forty-one members of the presbyterian party and sent them to a low room which passed by the appellation of hell whence they were afterwards carried to several inns above one hundred and sixty members more were excluded and none were allowed to enter but the most furious and the most determined of the independents and those exceeded not the number of fifty or sixty this invasion of the parliament commonly passed under the name of colonel pride's purge so much disposed was the nation to make merry with the dethroning of those members who had violently arrogated the whole authority of government and deprived the king of his legal prerogatives the subsequent proceedings of the parliament if this diminutive assembly deserve that honourable name retain not the least appearance of law equity or freedom they instantly reversed the former vote and declared the king's concessions unsatisfactory they determined that no member absent at this last vote should be received till he subscribed it as agreeable to his judgment they renewed their former vote of non-addresses and they committed to prison sir william waller sir john clotworthy the generals massey brown copley and other leaders of the presbyterians these men by their credit and authority which was then very high 
had at the commencement of the war supported the parliament and thereby prepared the way for the greatness of the present leaders who at that time were of small account in the nation the secluded members having published a paper containing a narrative of the violence which had been exercised upon them and a protestation that all acts were void which from that time had been transacted in the house of commons the remaining members encountered it with a declaration in which they pronounced it false scandalous seditious and tending to the destruction of the visible and fundamental government of the kingdom these sudden and violent revolutions held the whole nation in terror and astonishment every man dreaded to be trampled under foot in the contention between those mighty powers which disputed for the sovereignty of the state many began to withdraw their effects beyond sea foreigners scrupled to give any credit to a people so torn by domestic faction and oppressed by military usurpation even the internal commerce of the kingdom began to stagnate and in order to remedy these growing evils the generals in the name of the army published a declaration in which they expressed their resolution of supporting law and justice the more to quiet the minds of men the council of officers took into consideration a scheme called the agreement of the people being the plan of a republic to be substituted in the place of that government which they so violently pulled in pieces many parts of this scheme for correcting the inequalities of the representative are plausible had the nation been disposed to receive it or had the army intended to impose it other parts are too perfect for human nature and savour strongly of that fanatical spirit so prevalent throughout the kingdom the height of all iniquity and fanatical extravagance yet remained the public trial and execution of their sovereign to this period was every measure precipitated by the zealous independence the parliamentary leaders of that party had intended that the army themselves should execute that daring enterprise and they deemed so irregular and lawless a deed best fitted to such irregular and lawless instruments but the generals were too wise to load themselves singly with the infamy which they knew must attend an action so shocking to the general sentiments of mankind the parliament they were resolved should share with them the reproach of a measure which was thought requisite for the advancement of their common ends of safety and ambition in the house of commons therefore a committee was appointed to bring in a charge against the king on their report a vote passed declaring it treason in a king to levy war against his parliament and appointing a high court of justice to try charles for this new invented treason this vote was sent up to the house of peers end of section forty five chapter fifty nine part five